And so we are back for 1965 and up. We uh we had such an amazing past few episodes. Uh, JFK died. Uh, well, oh, first yeah. off, JFK got elected, and then JFK died. <laughs> what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? What can I say? If you if you're gonna die, then you know just don't be JFK or something. Um, I, I don't murder know. most foul. A murder most foul. Well, so we had his death. Um, don't forget, we also had the grand old uh, Marilyn Monroe overdose. Uh, Vietnam. Uh, beginning of protests and riots of the early 60s and just lots and lots of real heavy stuff man yes and the first episode of Doctor Who in 1963 oh yes which means pretty much nothing to me because my Doctor Who phase died with high school yeah that was... actually not even high school middle school yeah <laughs> mine too I uh there was I feel like there was a few other things that happened in the 60s, uh, or early 60s. Nelson Mandela's arrested. Uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, I don't know how I forgot that one. 1962, Bob Dylan. Um, South Africa leaves the Commonwealth. Um, we, we had a lot of different stuff that happened in the 60s that... I mean... We're splitting just, it into two episodes. <laughs> I mean, everybody, everybody changed. I mean, you go from... You listen to Bob Dylan stuff from the early '60s, and then like the mid '60s, and then the late '60s. He, he just he just completely changed. Yeah, he went from like Woody Guthrie Part Two to like weird electric folk, and then he became a country singer by the end of the '60s. You know, sometimes people just need to find themselves. I oh guess. yeah, everyone was doing a lot of that. I was going to say the 60s is a perfect time. If you ever need to find yourself, go back to the 60s and just be like, "All right, am I a hippie? Am I a soldier? Am I a musician? What am I? Am I a hippie? Am I a freak or am I, a, you know, whatever?" So, uh we're going to start off 1965 really really strong. Um at this point, our good friends, as I said earlier, John Kennedy is dead. Uh, Lyndon B. Johnson takes over for John Kennedy. I've got, like, dust or something going up my nose, but I'm not sneezing. It's just, like, every time I inhale, like, my sinuses just start watering. Ugh. It's probably dry. It's cold out. Yeah, well, you'd think so, but it's, like, humid and warm and moist inside this room. <laughs> I don't know. Um, oh, meanwhile in Russia, 1964, Khrushchev um, has fallen from power, which leads into a whole thing for the Russians. And, you know, like I said, we should go back and do Russian history because very interesting. Uh, so Lyndon B. Johnson on the 3rd of November uh, defeats Goldwater in the U.S. presidential election. So Lyndon B. Johnson takes over for Kennedy, and then he wins at the end of 1964. And we're going to go ahead and start off 1965 strong. You remember that one guy who led the British uh, during World War II? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sir Winston Churchill dies on the 24th of January, 1965. Oh, man. Woohoo! Poor Winston. 60s had a lot of dead people. Like, oh, 60s had a lot of everything, but definitely dead people, too. That's, that's put, uh, a lot of dead people. A lot of dead people. Uh, so, President Lyndon B. Johnson, on the 8th of March, sends the first U.S. ground troops to Vietnam. 
which starts a dramatic increase in the U U.S. troop commitment. So up until this point, um, if you remember, uh, basically Vietnam, you have the South and you have the North. North is communist. Uh, America comes in and basically pushes them all the way to the north, and then the uh, like America starts to withdraw a little bit, and the Russians and Chinese back the Vietnamese, and then they push us. Nope, that's Korea. I was gonna say I'm like something about this just sounded wrong. Yeah, that was Korea. Whoops. Uh, Korea is the one where they pushed North Korea, almost eradicated North Korea, and then they got pushed back because of the Chinese and Russians and. Uh, that's why we have North Korea today. Glad I caught myself on that. I almost made myself a big oopsie. Uh, Vietnam is basically the one where you go in and there's just people in the trees. And no matter what uh, the southern Vietnamese did, they just died. Oh, yeah. It was just, it was just constant guerrilla warfare from... Agent uh, Orange and Napalm and stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, we haven't even gotten to that part yet. America's just putting in their troops. Basically, what's happening in Vietnam uh, in 1965 and a little bit before, uh, the Americans are supporting the South um, and the Vietnamese who support democracy, and the communists are supporting the northern communists which leads to political instability and america and the communists realize this the communists the russians realize this and realize that if they reinforce these people they could make another democratic or another communist nation well it's a shame because they both realized it and that led to war however america was the only one that actually got involved um vietnam is a proxy war so a proxy war is basically when you support one side of the war, but you never really get involved yourself. Now, this is a different kind of proxy war because America actually did get involved. But basically, this was America and Russia fighting like they had been for decades. At, well, not really decades, but about a decade and a half at this point. Um, because... If they were to attack each other, America and Russia, mutually assured destruction. But when they use proxies, they can then beat each other and expend each other's resources. It's really just, it's really just a measuring contest to see who has, you know, the best abilities, for lack of other words, um, like a greater, bigger nation, and all of that. So, uh, good old proxy wars. Uh, so. The great train robber Ronald Biggs in the 8th of July, 1965, escapes from London's Wandsworth Prison. Oh, man. The great the train robber? Yes. Great train <clears throat> robber Ronald Biggs. He must have been a pretty big dude. It's in his name. <laughs> uh, he was basically an English criminal who, in 1963, helped carry out a great train robbery. Um, he became notorious for his escape from prison in 1965 and proceeded to live as a fugitive for 36 years. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. What a lucky guy. What a lucky guy. Got he's, away with it. He's a very interesting-looking man, too. He looks like a really fun old man, <laughs> um, but as a younger man, he looks kind of creepy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... 
you know, I would call that a glow up. You know, you, you, you have you, to hit 70 years old, but you do glow up. You look better. Yeah, you know, he aged. Did he age gracefully? Uh, as an older man, he looks like that old decrepit the grandpa c- who like constantly gives you 20 bucks. And it's like, All <laughs> I right, thought sport. you were going to say the crypt keeper. <laughs> No. <laughs> I was like, come on, don't do him like that. He's he's not that bad, but, you know, he... uh, He's not doing too hot, he, He's though. the type of grandpa that would take you to a movie, sit down, and, like, not understand the movie at all, and not want to see it in the first place, but he cared enough about you to take you to the movie, so he went with you and bought you some popcorn. He's, he's that kind of grandpa. Yeah, my grandpa did that. He ended up just walking out of the movie and walking into some other movie. <laughs> He just left us to our own devices. So the great train robbery, since we're on the subject of 1963, and it's in the 60s, uh, <laughs> Ronald Biggs, um, along with other people, a lot of other people, uh, robbed 2.6 million euros from a Royal Mail train heading to Glasgow, uh, or sorry, heading from Glasgow to London. <laughs> Um, on August or on the eighth of August, nineteen sixty-three, they tampered with uh, signals, which uh, signaled the train to come to a halt, and then fifteen of them went ahead and robbed the train. There are thirteen names, and there are three people still unnamed. They are known as one, two, and three. So there are three people out there that are still at large. They're probably still robbing trains. Yes, um, I like <clears throat> two of the two of the one, two, three people actually got caught: uh, Harry Smith and Danny Pembroke. Uh, but the sixteen sixteenth man uh, r- was a unnamed retired train driver. Did they get him? Uh, he doesn't have a name in here. I think he was one of the only people who got away, but maybe That's their so buddies and... just explained. I, I I don't know. That that darn so-and-so, he... Yes, number three. Ah! <laughs> I'll get you number three. Sounds like we're like doing Codename Kids Next Door or something. <laughs> so uh, we're going to jump forward. Uh, Ronald Biggs escapes, makes it 36 years. Uh, about 20 days later, uh, President Lyndon B. Johnson announces an increase in American troops in Vietnam from 75,000 to 125,000. So merely two months before, he had started sending troops there, and now he's like, I'm almost going to double our troops there. What a crazy man, that LBJ. LBJ, what a, what a <coughs> man. He certainly existed. Uh, 9th of August, 1965, Singapore officially withdraws from the Federation of Malaysia. Yay. Yay. <laughs> woo, woo, woo. Yay. Well done, Singapore. Thanks, Singapore. Woohoo. Um, in the 9th of November, I skipped way too far ahead. The 11th of August, two days later, race riots in the predominantly black Los Angeles neighborhood of Watts. Um, after six days, at least 34 people are dead. Now, I'm not actually very familiar with this, so I'm going to look this up real quick. But also, 
you know, I, I know we already brought up Bob Dylan, but this is this is important. <laughs> We're going back to Bob Dylan. Because in 1965 at the Newport Folk Festival, Bob Dylan goes electric, and everybody hates it. <laughs> he goes up on stage. He just released like like Rolling Stone and like bringing it all back home. He goes up and he you know because the Newport Folk because the folk revival in like the early 60s was like. It's kind of important in some sense that it was kind of like the beginnings. It's kind of like the hippie kind of counterculture kind of movement. But uh, and Dylan was like, he was like a big kind of influence in that scene. So to see him come out and start playing like rock and roll music, they were like, he betrayed the folk scene and blah, blah, blah. Like they had someone <laughs> trying to chop the cable, like to turn off the, <laughs> like to chop the power cables. Makes me think with of an axe. Uh, Marty McFly. I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet. <laughs> no, it's yeah. funny because in 20 years, country music adopts the electric guitar, and now it's basically old rock music. I know. It's nuts. <clears throat> it's like, and then, you know, he goes on, well, a year later, he goes on a tour around the world with the band who backs him, and everybody hates him, and then he, he gets into a, you know, and he's like all messed up on stuff. Yes, because you know the road will do a lot of crazy things to a man. And then eventually he he gets into a motorcycle accident and goes into hiding for a couple years. And then he emerges as a country singer. <laughs> uh, the story of my life. But he was. It's not <laughs> like he was doing nothing while he was in hiding because he recorded the basement tapes with the band, and that's that's some pretty good stuff. That's some of my favorite Dylan stuff. So, uh, I'm going to go back to Watts. It's also called the Watts Rebellion or the Watts Riots. Oh, yeah. Because I I was relatively curious. I'm like, huh, another thing of the 60s. There's so many of these that I don't, I, I don't know what all of them are. Um, but basically what happens is there are two stepbrothers uh, who I'm going to refer to as Marquette. I, I'm not very sure how to say his name, uh, so I believe it's Marquette and Ronald uh, Fry. They are pulled over by a white California highway police or patrol officer um, while driving their mother's car near the corner of uh, Avalon Boulevard and 116th Street in the Watts neighborhood of Los Angeles. Uh, I'm just going to keep calling him Marquette. Marquette failed a sobriety test and... Uh, panicked as he was arrested. He got angry because he thought he was going to jail, and he started fighting with the police officer. Then his stepbrother, Ronald, joined in. Um, really, he said, partly to protest the arrest, but also because he wanted to protect his stepbrother. A crowd began to gather because uh, these two men were fighting with police officers, and... Uh, backup police arrived under the assumption that the crowd that had gathered was hostile, which then resulted in a fight between someone in the crowd and an officer. Um, Ronald gets jabbed with a baton, uh, and basically it all starts to heat up from that point on. Um, Marquette is knocked down by a riot baton, handcuffed, and taken to a police car. Then Fry's brother's mother, Raina, showed up on the scene and, believing that the police were abusing Marquette, rushed to pull the officers off of him, which resulted in another fight, 
Reyna was arrested and forced into the car, followed by Ronald, uh, who was also handcuffed, and attempting to intervene peacefully in his stepmother's arrest. The crowd began to get angrier, and from that point on, uh, they thought that... Or sorry, from that point on, more patrol officers started to arrive with batons and shotguns to keep the crowd back from the police car. And then the crowd began to grow. Hundreds more people flocked to the scene with all the sirens. Motorcycle police attempted to leave. One of them was spat on. Uh, the police stopped to pursue a woman who they believe spat on them. And the crowd converged around the motorcycle police, uh, which then sent more officers into the crowd. And then more police cars started showing up. It's just a, it's a comedy of errors. Every, one little action starts getting a reaction, and then the police do something, and then they react, and the crowd does something, and the police react, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And in addition to that, you have the news trying to report on, and they're sensationalizing and a lot of stuff they reported like was straight up made up like they said like that a cop like kicked a pregnant woman in the stomach and stuff like that just like real just like because they were so rushed to try to like get news out because they wanted to be like oh yeah we got the big scoop about the riot but they would just lie about stuff like just blatantly lie about it so uh i'm glad you said that joyce ann Gaines um was uh, assumed to be the person who spit on the officers, and then the officers went to arrest her. She w- resisted, and then was dragged out of the crowd, uh, which, believing she was pregnant, made the crowd even angrier. Um, so that's what happened there. I don't actually know if she was pregnant or not, um, and I'm sure from that point on with the sensationalism I mean, that they started reporting on it saying this is what happened. Uh, by 7.45 p.m., the riot was in full force with rocks, bottles, and more being thrown at buses and cars um, and traffic being stalled. Then... <laughs> oh, boy. Um, basically, the night after the arrest, crowds attacked motor motorists with rocks and bricks and pulled white drivers out of their cars and beat them. Uh, the following morning, there was a community meeting helmed by Watts leaders, including representatives from churches, local governments, and the NAACP, uh, with police in attendance, designed to bring a calm to the situation. Raina, uh, one of the, the stepmother who was arrested, also attended, uh, imploring the crowds to calm down. She, Marquette, and Ronald had all been released on bail that morning. The meeting became a barrage of complaints about uh, the police and the government treatment of black citizens in recent history. Um, immediately followed by state, er, immediately following a statement by Reyna, a teenager grabbed the microphone and proclaimed that rioters planned to move into the white sections of Los Angeles. Uh, now we get to a section called William Parker. Uh, they, local leader. Local leaders requested the police dispatch more black police. But this was turned down by the Los Angeles Police Department, Chief William H. Parker, who was prepared to call the National Guard. 
Uh, word of this decision and subsequent news reports about the teenagers' tirade are credited with causing the riot to escalate more. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what side you're on. If you say a word here, it, it just grows. Like, the police become more violent, and then the group becomes more violent. And, and there's nothing you can do besides, like, teleporting everyone to their own separate island and telling them, okay... Everyone calm down and think about what you did, putting everyone in timeout. But at this point, you have hundreds of people and hundreds of police, and they're ready to call in the National Guard, and everyone's just angry at each other. Yeah. It reminds me of this song that, because uh, Frank Zappa wrote a song about the Watts riots. It's called Trouble Every Day, and it's just basically kind of like just talking about like the news and just the violence and just the senselessness of it all. And it's just like, and the, and the refrain goes, you know, there's no way to delay that trouble coming every day. Well, and the worst part was, it, it really happened for no reason. I mean, somebody failed their sobriety test, and police, like, I don't know. He, he thought he was being arrested, and he got scared and got mad about it, and then his brother defended him because that's what brothers do. And, and everything just escalated from there, and, ah, uh, what a... It's really nuts. It's happening all over the place, too. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. By the end of the third day, rioting covered 50 square miles wow. of Los Angeles, and 14,000 National Guard troops were dispatched to Los Angeles. Uh, there were barricades. There were clashes. There was sniper rifle fire. There was uh, police raids on vehicles and apartments, Molotov cocktails. It, it, it was basically a war zone, um, which then continued for another three days. Uh, the best part was William Parker, who was uh, not a really nice person, started saying some relatively racist th things I'm not going to repeat, but it basically fanned the flames, saying that the protesters were uh, doing bad and the riots were all their fault. And I will say here, I don't know. I don't really know whose fault it is. I think it was just simply people not understanding each other then proceeding to get angry. Because, like, the person failed the sobriety test, which means that they had alcohol in their system. So that's a fair reason. But also, I wasn't there to know whether or not the police used aggressiveness or I, I didn't see what the crowd saw. So it's very interesting to me, um, and especially how the people in charge at this time definitely weren't trying to help like uh, the things that William Park the police commissioner says here uh, not very nice <laughs> not 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 great at all um, and he also believed that Muslims were infiltrating and agitating the riots even more so what? on the final day of the riots uh, police surrounded a mosque which resulted in gunfire and the arrest of people inside. So it ends up, it starts, you know, as that such a small event. It grows into a... a witch hunt. Basically. Like, they, they were just trying to find a way to stop the riots, but every action they took was hostile because they saw that hostile actions had been done to them, but they're the police, like, you know, and they're the National Guard. And then... The rumors and all these fake news things coming out, like the kicking of the pregnant lady, which didn't happen. She was just arrested. And, um, like, Muslims 
infiltrating and agitating. It's horrible. Where does that come from? <laughs> and it's horrible because it still, like, it still happens that stuff. Yeah, well, it just it just happened. I mean, it was happening last year. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I don't disagree with that at all, and that's what I find. I guess nothing really changes, huh? I was gonna say we're we're about to dive into the sad part of the '60s, where everyone's like, I think it's time to do drugs and feel better about things because nothing does change, and I'd rather forget well, about life. Well, even that got kind of heavy too, you know, because at first people were doing like, you know. More, you know, because people have been doing, like, stuff like whatever since, like, ancient times and whatnot, like Native Americans and stuff, so people are doing that. And then I think it just gave it gave way into more heavier stuff. People went from doing, like, just smoking pot to just, to like, doing heroin and, like, cocaine. Just, ruined, yes. just really kind of strangled the whole thing. Nothing like some good old LSD. <laughs> Welcome to the 60s. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good old, the doors of perception. Doors being open that you never knew were there. So we're going we're gonna to finish off this little discussion with uh, <laughs> the police end up ransacking a building next to the mosque. And then, after the gunfire and ransacking the building, they tear gas the sewer to prevent anyone from escaping. Because, like, people would run in the sewer to get away from being attacked. So they tear gassed. Um, and then fires broke out and happened to destroy the mosque. How very convenient. Um, and all the charges were dropped uh, against arrestees and the Muslim community. Accused police of using the riots as an excuse to destroy their place of worship. Which, frankly, <laughs> it certainly sounds like that happened. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, most of the 34 people who died were black. Two policemen and one firefighter um, had died. Uh, uh, 26 deaths were justified or were deemed justifiable homicides. Um, a commission was set up to study the causes of the riot, after which several community improvement suggestions were made that would improve schools, employment, housing, health care, and relations with the police department. There was little follow-up, um, but because of these, or because of this riot, this led this led to a new era of do-it-yourself activism, um, which had which blossoms in Watts, uh, including reformed street gang members who joined uh, with the Black Panther Party to rebuild and monitor police excesses. So, excuse me. Um, stuff, uh, stuff came from it. Uh, it. It led to the do-it-yourself style protests, which basically means you don't need to organize. You can just get a group of people together and start doing it. Uh, and it led to a lot of... I, I would say it helped lead to a lot of change in the civil rights movement. Though I will say it was definitely at the time viewed very, very negatively against the black community. And now, I don't know, looking back on it, looking back on it as if I was there, looking at it, it, it just sounds like fault on both sides. It, at least to me, from what little knowledge I have and what little I've read, it just seems as though people 
just didn't understand what was happening and there was already tensions and reason to fight in the first place so they used something like that to just got a bunch of angry people who are just tired of all the crap and then eventually it just explodes and they're just you know you try to yeah you got a lot of people pushing each other around and trying to keep it down and eventually it just all explodes outward you can't really keep sometimes you just got to let the anger up but sometimes it just comes out and just in a, like here, just really, really just in unfortunate ways, especially in, when you have a whole bunch of people together and just kind of like, you know, you just get one person and just a whole bunch of people feed on it. Doesn't matter who it is. If it's, I mean, both sides fed into it. The whole kind of just like, just like, in, just like enough is enough. So I'm looking something up real quick. There is a... Oh, okay, never mind, I'm 20 years off. There's a blackout that happens in New York. And, uh, oh, yeah, that's the, in like the 70s or the 80s, isn't it? Well, it's the 9th of November, 1965, but the big blackout that happens is 1980, and that leads to a Supreme Court case and a lot of real fun, interesting stuff from that. But I was thinking it happened way earlier than it actually did. Mm-hmm. Which means that it happens way later than I thought it did. <laughs> to end off 1965, the 11th of November, um, Ian Smith, head of the white minority government in Rhodesia. Is that a real place? Yeah, I think so. Rhodesia. Rhodesia country? What? Huh. Ah. This is why I did not understand. It is in Africa. Um, my geography... Well, as an American, my geographical knowledge is very, very slim. But I can probably name every country in Europe, Asia, and the Middle East. 100% can't name anything in Africa besides South Africa. And speaking of South Africa, directly above it... Um, is Rhodesia. Hmm. Yeah, I... Alrighty then. Um, who knew? Oh? Ah, I'm distracting myself with interesting modern history. Uh, so Ian Smith makes a unilateral declaration of independence from Great Britain, which uh, provokes economic sanctions. So, unsurprising... Everyone in the world is like, we're done with you, Britain. (laughs) It's been basically 20 years of people continuously, almost every single year or every two years, leaving Britain and declaring uh, their own independence. I mean, as they should. I mean, I don't know what they were thinking, just trying to take over everybody's stuff. Well, I mean, how else do you build an empire? (laughs) That's true. That's that's the only thing I have to that is if you want to expand and grow and conquer the world, how else would you conquer the world if not by conquering the world? I mean, you do got a point there, but I think after a while, especially with Britain, because they were conquering places like all over the place, really far away from each other, and I think like that's kind of hard to control when you're so yep. far removed, like kind of like with like India, like they kind of just got sick of that whole thing. And that's why they kind of started to fight for independence. Yeah. You're 100% right. I mean, 
that's like, why they it's have... kind of like Rome. Like most of the places they were ruling were kind of like in their immediate vicinity, but that's only because they they couldn't really get around very far because all they had were like boats and stuff. And they didn't exactly have like you know sophisticated militaries like planes and stuff like that and various off-road vehicular things vehicular but you know well so we'll start off 1966 actually let me check real quick i don't think there's anything else uh there's a medicare bill in 1965 um there was 32,000 people uh, who made a 54-mile freedom march from Selma to Montgomery. Malcolm X gets assassinated on the first day of National Brotherhood Week. Yeah, that's, and that stuff, kind of looking into that, is kind of weird, like the circumstances of how that happened. Because, I mean, there were two people who were like, I think they were from the Nation of Islam or something like that, and they were incarcerated but I guess like it it kind of came out that they were like in a completely different place or like one of them was or whatever and it's just like they didn't do it and they got cleared for it or whatever but I mean I don't know personally I think it was probably the CIA <laughs> because it's always the CIA I mean, anything any any person that seemed like in any way a threat to like the American government in terms of like social change and whatnot, who were like kind of leaders, they always got killed. <laughs> always, they always get killed. I mean, you're not wrong. The uh, CIA, they certainly like to. They like to take care of people. They like to take care of people, as they say in like mob movies. They're very, they're very caring people who want to ensure that you have a very nice, peaceful rest. Like, JFK, he wanted to abolish the CIA, and, you know. And the CIA wanted to abolish JFK, <laughs> and they did. <laughs> I think, I, I mean, I personally think it was right. I mean, the CIA is pretty, they're a bunch of sketchy. He probably found out what they were doing. He's like, we need to, these guys need to get out of here. It's like, what is this? This mind control stuff? What What, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, and, and even in addition to that, there's all sorts of stuff about the CIA that, like, that they haven't even declassified yet. So, like. What we know that's like crazy enough as it is, like MK Ultra and all this other stuff, like that's just what we know. Yep. Imagine what we don't know. The we don't know a lot. <laughs> no, no, we, we, don't. we don't know a lot. I mean, there was a CIA attempt uh, to. <laughs> this is fun. <laughs> the CIA does some crazy things. There was an attempt to blow up Fidel Castro. Oh yeah, with with an exploding cigar. Or not just that, with exploding seashells. Exploding cigar, exploding seashells, I exploding he, explosions. I think he ex- I think he survived over like 260-something assassination attempts, Fidel Castro. Yeah, they didn't want him alive. <laughs> <coughs> America no. doesn't like communists, and uh, neither does the CIA. The CIA doesn't like a lot of people in, in their own country, you know. The CIA is a scary force in history. I mean, we've seen... I mean, Britain took over the world, but honestly, the CIA run the world. CIA turned on America, and then they turned it off. Oh, that's right. uh, I wouldn't be surprised if half of the independence things that happened 
were sponsored by the CIA. Like they just handed over a little bit of money or helped people get into power just for them to say, we're leaving Britain just because America was like, we don't like that you used to rule us. <laughs> I mean, with all the with all the psychotropic substances they were distributing amongst the people because they were like, we can't use this to like, you know, we can't use it to mind control people like we thought it could. So we're just going to put it into the streets. And then, you know, you had the hippie movement and they were like, wait, let's try to make a change here. But, and then the CIA was like, well, we're not going to do that. We're going to kill all your leaders instead. Take that. <laughs> How dare you enjoy the stuff that we threw into society. How dare you try to have freedom? What? <laughs> there is no such thing as freedom. How dare Only you CIA. try to how dare you try to have peace and to try to be together? <laughs> um so our our good old friends in the government, since we're talking about them, uh do a few different things. Uh first off, we have Lyndon B. Johnson, uh, who does something pretty good here because it's annoying. Uh, and not even just annoying, it was blatantly racist. He puts out the Voting Rights Act of 1965. We're still at 1965, by the way. Uh, and the act abolishes literacy tests and other tests used by local and state governments to inhibit African-American voting. So basically, the idea behind those tests was a lot of African-American schools, uh, a lot of black community schools were not good. Because they don't get the resources, they didn't get the money, they still don't. And they would purposely make the tests, like, they would put, like, trick questions and just make them basically unsolvable. Yes. And they were, they were just blatantly racist against, Like, know. some of them weren't even, like, literacy questions. It was like, look at this shape. Is it, like, this other shape or this other one? And then they would just, like, be like, nope, wrong. <laughs> Well, it actually kind of looks like, no, it looks like the other shape. Well, I was going to say actually that shape. Nope, it was the other shape. <laughs> like, no, it was none of them. You're, you're just wrong. Every answer is wrong. <laughs> that, uh, there's a line. Um, George Takei has a musical that bombed. Uh, well, I wouldn't say bombed, but it didn't do well on Broadway. Uh, about the Japanese-American concentration camps in America where they picked up people and basically a lot of those people had to do tests to see if they were traitors for Japan and you basically one of the lines in the show says hold your nose and answer yes to everything um, because it was all about if you answered no or answered against what the government wanted you were probably going to get deported even if you were a Japanese American like born in America or, you know, just get killed because I'm sure the CIA, well, CIA government at that time, the military yeah. probably did that, too. Um, so really, lesson learned, uh, if the government or the CIA wants you to vote or vote, uh, wants you to write stuff on your test a certain way. I, I, you know, at this point, you fill in the blank, you either say yes or no, but uh just know that one of those answers is right, one of those is wrong, and whichever one you choose is wrong. <laughs> oh yeah. But speaking on like the constant, the uh, the uh, like the internment camps in America and stuff, there were rumors that they were picking up hippies off the streets oh, and God. they were taking them to those camps and like locking them there and like you know 
placing them there. But why? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it really happened. I I just I just know that there were rumors that that was happening at the, like around that time they were sparking up. And like just the idea of that's like what? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say I'm like what what is the point of rounding up a bunch of hippies who are just high and have no idea what's going on and then just throwing them in camps and seeing what happens like were were they trying to figure out what happens they if... thought they were a threat because like i mean <laughs> these guys are listening to bob dylan they're not a threat i mean it's like it's kind of like an easy rider you know like everyone's kind of you know these guys are like these free guys they're driving around the country on their motorcycles and they're in these kind of uh a little bit flashy clothes and like all these kind of backcountry people see them and they're just like what is that they think it's a they see them as like a threat and it's like and there is a scene in that movie where jack nicholson's like talking to them he's like because they're talking about it's like man everywhere we go they just give us you know they don't like no hotels and their motels will let us in or whatever nobody wants anything to do with this anywhere and he's like well they're not a it's like they're afraid of us, man. They think we're freaks. Like, well, they're not—they're not afraid of you. They're afraid of what you represent, because you represent freedom. Because you guys are just real free spirits and stuff, and they see that as a threat to their, you know, their constructs and societal expectations. <laughs> and that's probably why they were locking up all those hippies, because they just—because they these—it was just a bunch of free spirits just trying to be like, let's just do whatever, like, makes us happy. And then the government's like, who are these people? I think studying or studying, talking about the 1960s for these past two episodes has helped me realize I'm a hippie. <laughs> Just live my life, have a good time, you know? Go with the flow. So, uh, a few last things. Uh, the soap opera Days of Our Lives premieres in 1965 on NPC. And the last thing I want to talk about, because it is 1965. It is 20 years after World War II, in fact, and this is really interesting because I've been reading up on this. Um, the There is a trial. Um, there's an Auschwitz trial in Frankfurt. There are 66 XSS personnel uh, who receive life sentences and 15 others. So, or 15 others who receive, like, smaller sentences. So... This is interesting. Um, America recently, uh, I think it was 2018, deported a 96-year-old SS officer who had moved to Tennessee and been living there the rest of his life to Germany. Uh, And also, currently, there is a trial of uh, John Smith. His name in uh, German is Joseph S., which is their equivalent of John Smith. And... He is a 100-year-old ex-SS officer who has been charged with over 5,000 counts of murder. And there is a 100-year-old Jewish Holocaust survivor who is going into court uh, against or being a witness or something against Joseph S. So even though it's 1965 and how many is that? I'm not good with math. 81 more SS officers just get sentenced. It's 2021, and 100-year-old men are still getting sentenced for 1940s. 
stuff that happened, which is, it's ridiculous to me in my mind that they even lived that long. But to be fair, you know, we're the generation that's supposed to live past 100, so we'll see what happens there. Oh, man. Oh, man. What a, what a scary thing. I feel thing. like they've said that a lot throughout the past, like, decades. They've said that a lot. But we can see now we are actually, or at least the previous generation has been hitting 100, and they've been hitting higher. Most people have not, but there are people who have. I mean, we have a 100-year-old, like I just said, we had a 100-year-old SS officer and uh, survivor. Then, what was it, the world's oldest lady was like 110 my great aunt just died. She was, I think, 101 or two or something like that. Yeah. So it's not, it's not crazy to say that in 30 years we'll be 50 years old. <laughs> don't, don't remind me that I'm gonna be 50. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting old. I've been knowing that. <laughs> so let's head off to 1966. So Indira Gandhi elected Prime Minister of India. She is the daughter of, not Gandhi, uh, but she is elected prime minister. So congratulations to India for being progressive and having a uh, female prime minister in 1966. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> I was say, that's, that's about all I have to say about that. That's uh, cool. It's amazing. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know enough about her to know what she did. Uh, I'm that's, sure that's quite probably, a leap. I mean, for like that being fi- well, for the, over 50 years ago, that's really cool. For the 60s, yeah. Um, and it's, I don't know, it was surprising to me. That doesn't really happen a lot, or at least it didn't really happen a lot at the time. No. To have uh, female-led countries. But there you go, Indian Prime Minister Indira Gandhi. Uh, I'll have to do some reading on her. I'm going to open a tab and... Not for this episode, but it'll be it'll be in the back of my mind to read about her a little bit. Thirty uh, first of March, the UK general election sees Harold Wilson's Labour Party returned with an increased majority. Twenty ninth of April, U.S. troops two hundred fifty thousand in Vietnam. Woo! We have literally over the course of one year, from nineteen sixty five to sixty six more than doubled the amount of troops that were in Vietnam. Oh, man. Good good old Lyndon B. Johnson helping us out there. Um, And then May, uh, Mao's cultural revolution begins in China. Millions are persecuted as he asserts his authority. What a... It was Orson Welles who... Chairman Mao scares me, man. Chairman Mao... can't say anything negative about him, just like the CIA. Great guy. He he did great for his country. Save us. He had a <laughs> uh, he had a pretty high KD ratio, you know. Yeah, I mean, Se- seventy-eight million kills for one death. Uh, but he didn't get a tactical nuke. No. Not like me in Call of Duty when I was, you know, ten years old. Modern Warfare Two. I can't believe that one man just like seventy-eight million. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Like I, I can right. do that easily. Yeah, so uh, it, it was Orson Welles who I believe was uh, coined the term doublespeak, um, where when you say something, it has a different meaning. So in like Tony Soprano, where he's like, uh, "I work in waste management." Yes, and 
Uh, in Orson Welles, it was like the Chamber of Love or something, where basically they tortured people into believing. It, it, this was in 1984, naturally, um, where they would just torture people into believing that the state was right. Um, so, the the idea of Mao's cultural revolution uh, is really just a mass genocide again. So a great leap forward. Yes. <laughs> God, so many so many wonderful names for so many terrible things i know like what <laughs> now uh i have some news for you 1966 bob dylan is injured in an accident yeah he was in a his infamous world tour in 1966 where uh, i think he was playing at the manchester free trade hall some people say it was the Royal Albert Hall, but it wasn't. But uh, in any case, you know, like people are booing him all over this tour. And basically him and the bands, uh, you know, because him and them are just like, like I saw in interviews, like the band and stuff. At the time, they were called the Hawks. They were talking about, it's like, man, we're making this music and it was so good, but everybody was booing us and we wondered why. And they found out it was because they thought Bob Dylan, like, betrayed the folk scene turned his back on everybody and whatever and blah 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 when really he's just a you know evolving as an artist but in any case at this concert it was one of the last ones uh someone in the audience yells judas at him oh which is kind of bad because i think he's jewish (laughs) so he's like and bob dylan you know in his defiance just like i don't believe you you're a liar, and then he just, you hear him, and then you hear him turn around. I won't say, the, you know, because it's bad where he's like, play it effing loud, and they just <laughs> go, boom, and they go right in the, like, a rolling stone, just his way of saying, like, F you, guy. So what happened was uh, Bob Dylan is nothing if not unpredictable. Um, he is Jewish. He's a born-again Christian. He's back to Judaism, back yeah. to Christianity. He's flipping that was, back and forth a lot. That was in the late 70s when he did the born-again Christian thing, like the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, so one other thing happened with him at that time. Uh, he got into a motorcycle accident, and he stopped touring for eight years. Yeah. I think th- the only time he really – he played like – you know, I think he played at the Isle of Wight Festival, and then he played at the – which was basically like Euro Woodstock. And he played at the concert for Bangladesh for for George Harrison. And like, but other than that, yeah, he wasn't really like playing anything. He pretty much just hid out in upstate New York for about maybe a year or two and was hanging out with the band. They were in some rented house up in the mountains. And he wrote a lot of great songs. Like the one we played, I Shall Be Released. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was, I would have liked to have seen what he kept doing if he didn't, if that didn't happen to him. Because basically that motorcycle crash was pretty much just like, like a turning point. Yeah, he was just done. (laughs) Yeah, he never really, like his lyrics were kind of, like even his lyrics weren't the same because around that time they were really like surrealistic and just kind of like weird before then. But I think it was probably because he was, he was doing a lot of drugs during that time. Because he was constant, I think he did, I don't know how many tour dates he did during that 1966 tour, but it was like an insane amount. Like it was, it was a lot. And like, it was pretty like, 
they're going all over the world. And, like, there's videos of it. Like, there's one video of him in a car with John Lennon. And he's, like, I think he was on, like, heroin or something. I don't know. But he's just, like. <laughs> Sounds re- about right. He's really out of it. And it's just, like, because he's just constantly just, like, go, 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 move, move, move. And he's going on this tour. And everybody, like, hates him. But he doesn't care because he's Bob Dylan. He's, like, I'm doing what I want. But, like, that's still got to. I think there's even one part where this, like, someone threatens to kill him. Like, he gets a death threat at a concert, and he's just like, it's like, you know, they're like, oh, man, don't worry about it. It's like, what do you mean don't worry about it? I'm going to get shot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that sounds about right for Bob Dylan. He was like, you know, we're just going to go. It doesn't matter if I get shot and die in the middle of my concert. (laughs) I mean, that's happened to other people. That's happened to a lot of people. Big in the 80s, someone threatened to kill Jerry Garcia, and he plays, and they played this song called Dire Wolf, and, like, the chorus goes, like, don't murder me. It's like, I beg of you, don't murder me. Just like, just a joke. It's like, all right, you're, someone's probably going to kill me, but I'm going to sing this song that basically says, don't murder me, please. So, uh, 1966, we had a B-52 bomber crash uh, into a KC-135 tanker off the coast of Spain. Uh, over the Mediterranean Sea. And what's really awesome about this is that the B-52 had four nuclear (laughs) hydrogen bombs, sorry, four hydrogen bombs on board when it crashed. What? Now, clearly, as you've not heard anything else about nuclear detonations besides uh, Hiroshima and... Nagasaki. Nagasaki, thank you. I was about to say, I'm like, oh, no, how'd I forget? Uh, basically what happens here is they crash, uh, while the tanker is mid air refueling. Weren't they doing like, you know, atomic bomb tests, like the Russians and stuff like that. Yep. During the sixties or the seventies or whenever. The tanker was destroyed. Its fuel was ignited. It killed all four crew members. Did the bombs go off? The B-52, actually, the B-52 broke apart. It killed three of the seven crew members. Uh, and what happened was all four hydrogen bombs fell to the surface. Three were found on land near a small fishing village uh, known as Palomares. Please tell me they found the fourth one. The non-nuclear explosives exploded upon impact on the ground, resulting in a contamination of uh, 0.77 square miles with radioactive plutonium. Did they find the fourth one? The fourth bomb fell into the Mediterranean Sea. So it's so it's still still down there, huh? It was recovered intact after a search lasting two and a half months. Oh, thank God! <laughs> I was gonna say, like, <laughs> if that thing's still down there today, I'm not going to Spain. <laughs> the oh man, the stuff that we have, the like the bombs that explode in the middle of you know europe and yeah the, uh, like the the world like the shells from world war one that they find like buried in the ground and they yeah. have to like call in an entire bomb, bomb squad, squad. To, <laughs> that is scary or like uh, people's like farmlands like all of a sudden like could you imagine just like you're you're tilling your field and then on the other side of your field next thing you know just like all of a sudden an explosion erupts from the ground and you're just like <laughs> you're what? Just like what <laughs> what did i do i was planting corn and the next thing you know it's like these you got to report it and then it's like hey 
Hey, everybody. Oh, never, don't mind that. That was just a World War One shell. You know, <laughs> you, actually, your land was a battlefield. Uh, so there might be more. It's like, oh, wow. Just that's, watch your step. You'll be that's, fine. That's great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, be careful not to plant too far down. You can irrigate, but just make sure that you don't dig too far down. <laughs> you, you'll blow up, you know, your nice little cornfield. My God. No more pumpkins for you. So uh, by the end of 1966, <laughs> the U.S. troops in Vietnam double from 200,000 to 400,000, and the U.S. deaths hit 6,358, and the uh, Vietnamese deaths are 77,115. So U.S. lost 6,000. The Vietnamese lost 77,000. So, you know, at least doubling the troops did well. In fact, I believe, if I remember my history correctly, Lyndon B. Johnson was actually doing well um, in this battle, or in the war, until he stepped out of office and we flipped some presidents around and, you know. Uh, (laughs) This is fun. I'm sure you'll enjoy this. The Beatles, 1966. In an interview published by the London Evening Standard, John oh, Lennon I was about comments, to, I was about to mention that. We're more popular than Jesus now. And they were. Like, he wasn't even lying. They were. Like, if you... Dude, at that point, when they were touring, they couldn't even hear themselves play anymore. Basically, the last time they ever heard themselves playing their own <laughs> instruments on stage was in 1962 or 63. Oh, by I, this point, they were just drowned in screams. Which sparks a huge controversy in the United States because, you know. Oh, yeah. They were, like, destroying records. Like, there were people on the radio going, like, bring your Beatles records to this burn pile. We're going to smash them up and burn them. Well, like, well, what? You know, four or five years ago, we had JFK, who was the first Catholic president, and that was huge controversy with Christian America. And now you have you have somebody saying that they're more popular than Jesus, and America is super Christian and they're like, mm, I mean, nah. At that point, more kids were, were going out and buying Beatles records and people buying Bibles, and more kids were going to see the Beatles movies than they were to see the to go to church. You're not wrong. I mean, the Beatles were very popular. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, uh, they, I mean, they're still a household name. If somebody talks about the Beatles, like you could be five years old and you'll know who the Beatles are. Then there's people that say, like, the Beatles are the worst band ever. I'm like, you just are trying to sound cool. I, I'm not a huge fan of the Beatles. I mean, there's yeah. a few songs I, I used like. To be, They're I not used, the worst band. I used to be, like, I had, like, a giant Beatles phase, and I thought they were just, like, the end-all, be-all. I mean, sometimes, you know, I kind of don't Slip listen to them. Slip in and out of them. Yeah. But... Even when like times where I'm not really into them and I don't really want to listen to them, I still do. It's like, well, they're they're still the Beatles at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, they're richer than I will ever be. So. Oh yes. Uh, so next, Lyndon B. Johnson does something which I still hate him for to this day. What does he do? <sighs> he signs Uniform Time Act, which introduces daylight saving time. That's stupid. That's stupid. Lyndon B. Johnson, he could be a perfect person in everything else, but simply because he did the daylight savings time. I mean, I don't know. I'll have hate you, him forever. Have you heard the the 
the phone call of him trying to order pants? <laughs> I have not. Well, <laughs> he's like he's being like kind of vulgar. He's like, you know, I want him to be a little loose around the crotch area so it don't strangle my bunghole or whatever. <laughs> like Lyndon B. Johnson he would orders hold- pants he would video. he would he would hold meetings too and like he would be on the <laughs> toilet with the door open like in the white house they're just <sighs> like lyndon lyndon b johnson is just like an animal and he was the president of the united states <laughs> he's just such a vulgar man and i love it <laughs> i i have the video up and ready to play once we uh once we conclude the show today <laughs> it's so funny so, uh, speaking of being more popular than Jesus, uh, the Church of Satan is formed by Anton Svandor Lafay in Ah, uh, yes, San Anton, Le- Anton Lafay. I do know. I know that man. Yes, he uh, he formed the Church of Satan, which I can guarantee did not go over well. At least it was in San Francisco, of all things. But uh, he did alleg- allegedly he was in a Rosemary's Baby, and there was a rumor that he played the devil. He d- he didn't, but. <laughs> But it would have been funny it if would have he been, did. It would have been awesome <laughs> if he did. Anton LaBay is crazy, man. Uh, final episode of the Dick Van Dyke show airs, 1966. Oh, uh, I feel like I have to just mention every once in a while that we're still in 1966 or, or whatever year we're in. But, hey, we're starting to get into the the rise of the Haight-Ashbury scene in, oh, in San Francisco the, where the hippie movement really, really pops off. Summer of love. We're getting there. Star Trek uh, debuts its first episode titled The Man Trap. Star Trek, awesome. Star Trek, awesome. Star Trek, awesome. There's a nice picture of the Enterprise A over here um, on my screen. I'm just like, ah, I love all the different Enterprises. They look just so beautiful. Our family, my brother and I, uh, ever since, I believe it started in 1966, 96 or 7, they have been releasing a Star Trek ornament every year for the past 30 years. And my brother and I have every single one of them. Because um, <laughs> our, our like shared Christmas gift to each other um, every year is Star Trek ornaments. That's awesome. And like we've got the Voyager. We've got every Enterprise. We've got a uh, Golden Enterprise. We've got a Metallic Enterprise. Uh, we've got the... I mean, we've got ships from Nemesis. We've got... Actually, I don't think they've released any of the new Star Trek Discovery stuff, which I is a like, shame. I always liked Star Trek more than Star Wars when I was little. I did, too. And then I grew up, and now I like Star Wars better than Star Trek. But I to like be them, fair... I like, like them both equally, because I just like anything from... like. I mean, I'm a, when I watch Star Trek, I like to watch the original series, because I just like... Yeah. I just love it. I love William me, Shatner, and I love Leonard Nimoy and all those... <laughs> Shatner. I love William Shatner. <laughs> For me, they just scratch different inches, like Star Wars and Star Trek. So I, it's really hard for me to compare them because Star Trek has action, but like, but like you I've, know. I've come to find out that like everybody, like, like almost everybody likes Star Trek. Like a lot of people, like I was watching it one time. I was like, I was with my friend and I was just like, let's watch Star Trek. And like we just started watching it, because we like we just saw it and we were just like let's watch this. Because I used to watch it all the time when I was little. I was like let's watch this. This is cool. And then like he was talking about it with his dad. And like next time I hung out, it's like my dad was talking about it. He's like he loves Star Trek and now he's watching it too. 
and like my dad always loved Star Trek. I always learned about it from him. And I'm just like, it just seems like that a lot of like even my my grandpa, my pop pop watched Star Trek too. He loves Star Trek. Just like it's like everybody just likes Star Trek. I don't know why. Well, I uh, for my D and D campaigns, <laughs> whenever there is an ambush, I play Surprise Attack by James Horner from Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Every time. Uh, it's actually on my Spotify playlist, too. I just listened to it in my spare time. James Horner really made the sound of Star Trek. And I I don't think I ever made it through the original series. It was... I'm just not a huge William Shatner fan. Like, I, I, I don't know what I he's just, like as I a person. I love the look and I love the aesthetic of the, of the show. Yes. Like, I like... Because I, I like the 60s, so I like all that stuff, that future kind of thing. And it was kind of like, it was kind of out there, but it wasn't too out there. Like, some of the stuff was like kind of like, it, this could this could exist in some amount of years. And some of it kind of did. I mean, yeah, I was going to say, Star Trek single-handedly predicted the smartphone. Yeah. There you go. Um, yeah, I I actually, I think I like the aesthetic of the original series but i like the characters of the next gen better but i, I will say i watched the next generation actually oh well i will say there are definitely episodes that are miss like you watch them and you're like uh, like, uh. but the original trilogy had that or original trilogy oh no i'm going i'm going star wars the movies and the original se- well the movies oh ugh. you have wrath of khan and Undiscovered Country are, like, the two good movies out of the seven movies that they have. Um, about or the six. S- the Search for Spock. No. Oh. No? I don't I don't like The Search for Spock, and I don't like the one that comes after it. Uh, hold on. Let me pull up the Star Trek movies. Uh, <laughs> Star Trek movies in order. That's happened in 1966. So, 1979 is the motion picture, um, which is awful. It's just, I mean, you can watch it. It's fine. It just feels like a really long episode, and it's really, to me, it's terrible to watch because it's just so boring. So I skip it, and I go to Wrath of Khan. Um, and then I will watch Search for Spock, but I'm not a huge fan of that one either. Wrath I really think Wrath of Khan. I do of, remember Wrath of Khan. That one was great. Yeah. I, well, in my mind, Wrath of Khan is like the perfect Star Trek movie. Uh, and then Search for Spock. Um, and then the worst one, The Voyage Home. Uh, because Leonard Nimoy in 1986 was like, "Hey, you gotta let me, you gotta let me direct a movie. You let, you let William Shatner direct a movie. Let me direct a movie." Um, and uh, I was wrong. <laughs> I, I flipped it. Um, no, no, I'm right. I'm right. I'm not wrong. Me big brain. Uh, so Leonard Nimoy does the Search for Spock, uh, which is okay. It's it's a fine film. Um, then he also does The Voyage Home, which is the one with space whales, and it's just, in my mind, it's awful. Like, is that the fifth one? The Final Frontier? Because I remember, there's one, I don't know if it's, because there's one where they go to, like, modern day, like. Ah, no, 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 that is. Because they're talking about, like, a, like. Kirk is, like, talking to Spock, he's like, do you like Italian food? And, like, Spock's like, no, I hate Italian food. <laughs> ah, I don't know which one you're talking about, actually. I forget which one it is, but it's it's kind of funny because it's just like because there's one part where Scotty's trying to talk to like a computer. It's like a Macintosh computer, and he holds up the mouse and he goes like, "Hello, computer." <laughs> he starts talking into the mouse. 
this is the one where a long-lost half-brother of Spock hijacks the Enterprise and takes control. I honestly, I don't remember this one at all. I think I think this is on my skip list. Honestly, I skip pretty much all of the original series movies. Uh, it has very low ratings. <laughs> um, it was directed by William Shatner, which also explains it because William Shatner is not a good director. Uh, 5.5 out of 10 on IMDb, 22% on Rotten Tomatoes, 43% on Metacritic, though 81% of Google users liked it. <laughs> uh, I do Wrath of Khan, Undiscovered Country, and then pretty much anything after that. Undiscovered Country is the one where... <laughs> you can firewalk, cloaked. The, uh, <laughs> the birds of prey, um, the Klingon birds of prey are invisible and then they start firing on the Enterprise and like Kirk goes to court and uh, just a lot of really great stuff from that point on uh, then you go into Generations which came out three years afterwards 1994 and it's basically the next gen um, and James Kirk and they Kirk is just handing off the uh the reins to the next gen he dies at the end of the movie and it's like it's an okay movie like it it, it exists uh I, i'm just gonna go through the star trek movies because you got me on it star trek first contact uh came after generations and it is uh where they first meet the borg which is a fun one star trek insurrection or uh insurrection it exists i mean really insurrection is a movie that should have been a TV episode. That's that's really all I have to say for it. It's it's not that great. But Star Trek Nemesis. Now this is the one everyone hates. Uh, they most people do not like Nemesis, but I like it a lot because this was one of Jerry Goldsmith's last film scores he ever did. And he, you had James Horner for the original series, and then Jerry Goldsmith for the Next Generation, and he really defined the feel of Star Trek music and I love Nemesis's uh, Nemesis's Nemesis's music to it though I will say plot's not great but I do love Commander Data singing blue sky smiling at me uh, it started my love for blue skies the, uh, the song which I I sang in high school a few times it's, it's a good time but back to the 60s Star Trek Yay! First episode airs. Woo! <laughs> um, how the Grinch Stole Christmas, narrated by Boris Karloff, is shown for the first time on CBS, which becomes an annual tradition and the best-loved-ever film uh, based on a Dr. Seuss book. I don't know how true that is anymore, because, I mean, Mike Myers... Did a great job in the cat in the hat. No response. <laughs> so we'll end 1966 with uh, our good old friend Martin Luther King opposing or publicly speaking out and opposing the war, which gets him, or which uh, which makes him and Lyndon B. Johnson not friends. Um, oh, minimum wage increased from a dollar twenty-five per hour to a dollar sixty. 19 there you go 
<laughs> whoa, whoa, that happened. 1967. Rolling Stone magazine is founded. Communist China announces that they have a hydrogen bomb. Woo! Thanks, Chairman Mao. <laughs> yeah! Uh... Dr. Christian Barnard performs the first heart transplant. The Boston Strangler, Albert DeSalvo, is convicted of numerous crimes and sentenced to life in prison. Uh, Muhammad Ali refuses military service in Houston, yeah. Texas. Yeah, he, 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 get, he refuses the draft. Elvis Presley and Priscilla, I don't remember how to say her name, Bailu, Bialu, Bialu, it's definitely French. Uh, they got married in Las Vegas. Jimi Hendrix releases, or sorry, the Jimi Hendrix Experience um, releases the album Are You Experienced? That album is awesome. It's a good album. I, You know, if you're not liking the Beatles and all that, I... And really not a lot of the, like, 60s stuff. I really do like Jimi Hendrix. Because Jimi Hendrix is awesome. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> uh, Pink Floyd releases their debut album, The Piper at the Gates of Dawn. That album is also awesome. Pink Floyd is awesome. <laughs> I like their early stuff from the 60s, too, because, like, it's just really weird. And also you got Sid Barrett, too. I like Sid Barrett's stuff. It's just very odd. Here's a fun one. Jim Morrison and the Doors defy CBS censors on the Ed Sullivan Show. Oh, yeah. They, they, they play Light My Fire, and they say, I think it was the line, girl, we couldn't get much higher. Yes. They wanted him to say, girl, we couldn't get much better or whatever. Yes. And he, Jim Morrison was like, no. <laughs> but, exactly. But then after, I guess afterward, they were all like coming up to him, it's like, "You're never, you're, you're banned from the Ed Sullivan Show. You blah blah blah. You're never gonna play again." And then like Jim Morrison's just sitting there. He's just going like, "Well, we just played the Ed Sullivan Show. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to do it again. Did it the first time. Yeah. Well, that that's basically what happens. Uh, they were very unhappy, and they told him, "Hey, please don't say the word higher." And uh Jim Morrison was like, <laughs> "Eat it." <laughs> yeah, just I, sure. I, I'm gonna do it anyways. Uh, Love is a many splendored thing debuts on U.S. daytime television and is the first soap opera to deal with an interracial relationship. CBS censors it. Oh, no surprise there. What uh, about Star Trek doing the first interracial kiss on television. Ah, that's not till later. Oh, everyone. Um, at this point, I think they're only like one season in, maybe two. Um, CBS censors the show and says it's too controversial uh, and asks for it to be stopped, causing the show creator, Erna Phillips, to quit. As they should. 1967, Walt Disney releases the full-length animated feature, The Jungle Book, the last animated film personally supervised by Disney himself. Um, it was on a double time or a double bill with the film, which is now much less well known, True Life Adventure, Charlie the Lonesome Cougar. I've never even heard of that. Yeah, I've never heard of that either. <laughs> <laughs> 1967 LSD. Woohoo! 
declared illegal by the United States government. It was really a long time before. It took them a long time. It was over a decade. <laughs> well, the reason why it was it was legal was because there was because you know you had like various opiates that were illegal because of the fact that they were prescribable, but they didn't see any pharmaceutical use for LSD, so they were just like, "Well, why should we illegalize it?" Yeah, I went. To, what's wrong with it? And then yeah. And then eventually, you know, then they saw what it could do with the mind and then they were like we can't have this it's bad uh so back to muhammad ali um because i don't think i made it clear he is the greatest when he says that he doesn't want to do military service he is stripped of the heavy uh, of the world heavyweight boxing title um that's stupid (laughs) it is stupid he's the greatest he's muhammad ali uh, so we're going to head into some good old-fashioned world history of 1967. South Africa rejects the idea of a cricket series against the West Indies because it would involve non-whites. Israel attacks Egypt to start the Six-Day War. Woohoo! Civil war breaks out in Nigeria. Uh, Guevara, Che Guevara, gets killed in Bolivia. And there is a launch of a full-color TV service in Britain's BBC Two. <laughs> there you go. You have some good old world history. People getting killed, and uh, good job, Britain. TV. Color television. You're you're a little bit behind on this by like you know five years, but whatever. Yeah, good job. I mean, they still have TV licenses there, so give them some time. Um, the 23rd of July, 1967, Detroit race riot begins. After four days, 43 people are killed. Detroit is a very interesting place. <laughs> I've been there like five times, and I, I don't believe it's real. It's like not a real place. The CIA wants you to believe it's not real. It is a very, it's, it's unreal. Like, <laughs> it's a really weird city. It's just like not like in some areas they have like these nice new buildings, and then you'll like take two couple steps this way, and then you have just urban decay. Speaking of forty three people dying, uh, there's one person who dies this year, and can you guess how they die? I mean, there's more than one person who dies that year, but like one uh, famous person, and I'm not going to say his name just yet. They're a famous person. How do they die? They were assassinated. Oh, you know, that's actually a really good answer for the 60s. What is the most common cause of death if you happen to become famous? Drug overdose. That's another fair answer. Uh, I'm looking for something a little bit more... Drowning? (laughs) What is that? Otis Otis Redding dies in a plane crash. That really makes me sad. I love Otis Redding. So at this point, I think we've had close to 30 famous people dying in plane crashes, including Amelia Earhart, Buddy Holly, Otis Redding. Gotta we'll, love Otis Redding. We'll throw George Washington oh, in I there, forgot. too. 1967, the Monterey Pop Festival. This is true also, the Monterey Pop Festival, which I need to go back and find where that was. We had all sorts of heavy people. We had, like... I mean, The Who, Jimi Hendrix with his his famous 
rendition of Wild Thing where he smashes his guitar and lights it <laughs> on fire. And this was one of the first times like the Ameri- like American audiences saw him. So you can imagine just like the look on everybody's face <laughs> after he does this or just... <laughs> Because, like, like, you know, it's uh, one thing to see Pete Townsend, like, smash a guitar, but he's, like, you know, Jimmy's just, like, dry humping it, and he's, like, lighting it on fire and, like, going, like, <laughs> you know, waving his fingers like he's sacrificing it, smashing it. Oh, my God, it's awesome. And then the Grateful Dead played right between The Who and the <laughs> and Jimi Hendrix, and so they asked to be removed from the subsequent film because... I mean, I saw some of their performance. They were all right, but it wasn't like the dead as as most people know today. They always kind of blew the big ones, you know? (laughs) But, like, if you saw them on, like, a Tuesday night in some ballroom, they'd be killing it. (laughs) Uh, Where was I just at? But that's a good movie, Monterey Pop, because you see, like, not only do you see, like, all these great, you know, like, Simon and Garfunkel and the Mamas and the Papas, you also see these, like, weird hippies, like, in the crowd. <laughs> like, people with, like, like crazy, like, face paint and just, like, dancing around and stuff like that. Uh, 400,000 protesters march to the U.N. Uh, building, and they hear speeches by Martin Luther King and Dr. Benjamin Spock. Spock? Spock. Live long and prosper. Spock! Gone! Uh, let's see. I don't think there's too much else that was interesting. 1967, Secretary of Defense resigns. The Summer of Love. Yes. Sergeant Peppers, which was... uh. I mean, that whole, like, because they made Sgt. Pepper because the Beach Boys came out with Pet Sounds. And Pet Sounds is, like, a really, like, cool album. And Brian Wilson makes Pet Sounds because the Beatles made uh, Rubber Soul. And the Beatles made Rubber Soul because they were smoking marijuana that, that and and they were turned on to it by Bob Dylan. So basically Bob Dylan just like sparked <laughs> inspired, <them. yeah. laughs> just inspired some of the greatest albums ever. Just like, yeah, we're the Beatles. We're we're cool stoners now. We're making Rubber Soul, which is an awesome album. And then like Brian Wilson's like, this is an awesome album and I'm also experimenting with different things and I'm <laughs> going to make pet sounds. And then the Beatles like, well we're experimenting even more. We're gonna make Sgt. Pepper and, and then, Bob Dylan's like, I'm bringing electric guitar into country music. <laughs> like, And then Brian Wilson's just like, I'm going to make an even better album than Sgt. Pepper. I'm going to make Smile, which is a really like cool album, but he doesn't finish it because he has like a nervous breakdown. And basically everyone around him is like, what you're doing is wrong. You should be doing fun in the sun surf music. And Brian Wilson's like, no. Like, Dennis Wilson's the only person in the band that surfs. We're not surfers. We should be artists. <laughs> Just because we're called the Beach Boys doesn't mean we have to sing about the beach every time. And then, like, Mike Love was like, no, I want to do Surf in USA. W- just watch me. In about 10 years, I'm going to write this song called Kokomo. Awesome. Literally the best <laughs> Beach Boys song ever made. And that's how Mike Love thinks. But literally, like, Brian... Both those songs are pretty good, though. But all the songs on Smile are just amazing. Like, it was gonna, <laughs> like... Because they released it... Like, they didn't finish it, Brian Wilson, until, like, 40 years later. And, like... And it's really good. 
you know, you know, have like heroes and villains and stuff like that, and like good vibrations. I mean, some of the songs on Smile were released like on subsequent Beach Boys albums because like they were too good not to put away. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, I, I will say, I think I like everything else besides Surfing USA. Like, I I like that song very I, well. But I like I enjoy... all the stuff that I like. I mean, we I don't really like to all their Beach Boys, did we? No, no, we did. It was our prayer. Oh, you're right. You're right. I had to play that one because that was the first song off of Smile, and I was like, "This is just too good not to put in." I don't want to put in like. <laughs> I don't want to do well. I guess. Yeah. That's like my favorite because I remember the first time I heard that song. Like I was like, I was it was it was in it was in like school and like I had this art teacher that played records and he was like, "Look, this <laughs> is a Beach Boys album," and I was like, "I don't really like the Beach Boys." And then he plays, and that's the first thing I hear. And I'm like, I turn around, I'm just like, "What is that?" <laughs> that's not the Beach Boys. I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's how music goes a lot of the times anyways. It's just like, no, I'm not going to like it. I don't really like the artists other things. You know, they're they're okay. You hear one of their songs, you're like, they need to make more of this. <laughs> I need more. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much how it is with the Beach Boys cuz then like they're making really cool stuff cuz Brian's starting to like take control and then he kind of recedes cuz he has I mean, he's literally, like, he stayed in bed for, like, five years or something. And then he had, uh, but it was, like, really bad. He was doing a lot of drugs and stuff like that. And also, like, literally just being in bed for, like, almost two or five years or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine that's very good for you, just doing hard drugs and laying in bed all day. Yeah. Normally, it doesn't go over too well for your body. We did some other cool stuff before that. Like, he had a... He had a piano and like a sandbox, like a giant sandbox in his house with like a grand piano in it. He just write songs. He wrote I don't know what songs he wrote. I think he wrote Good Vibrations and like all these really good Beach Boys songs. <laughs> He's like, Yeah, I wrote those in the sandbox. They were great. Those are all the sandbox songs. These rich people from the sixties always do such strange things. I know. It's like half the things they do, you're like who would put a sandbox in their living room yeah, and throw a piano on top of it? What? <laughs> <laughs> Does he want to feel like he's at the beach or what's happening there? I mean, I don't know. That would get on my nerves. It'd be, be kind of cool. <laughs> It'd be kind of cool, but like, what if you accidentally step on it with your socks and then you've got sand all over your socks? Or, you know, what if your cat or dog are running around and then they just spill sand everywhere? Like, ugh. Pee in it. Oh, well, yeah, that's another thing, too, is... There you go. There's your giant litter box. <laughs> I, mean, I, I swear the sand isn't supposed to be this warm whenever <laughs> I step on it. But oh boy, does it feel good as I'm the sand having is, good vibrations. The sand is wet. <laughs> the sand I'm is pick, wet. I'm picking and up, it's not from the ocean. I'm picking up good vibrations. So uh, 1968, let's hop a year forward. Yeah, Richard the, Nixon. Woo! The birth of heavy metal. That's right, heavy metal. Uh, yeah. Speaking of heavy metal, Richard Nixon gets elected president. Uh, no more Lyndon B. Johnson. And this is where we start to see Vietnam go bleh. And also at this point, like I think uh, Ronald Reagan became the governor of California and just proceeded to just, because the whole hippie thing kind of like started to really get turned down because of the fact that like local governments were just like, you're not going to like hire these long-haired groups in your clubs. And, like, they're also, like, inciting, like, curfews and stuff. So, eventually, like, they basically, like, they killed it just by suppressing it. Like, 
even like Frank Zappa was talking about it's like we had to get he was basically like we had to get out of LA because like we we wouldn't have survived <laughs> we wouldn't well, we wouldn't have made it as a band if we just like because they they jetted off to New York and then they made their own scene over there a lot of uh, a lot of that uh disgust is still within the workforce today like I mean I worked at Chick-fil-A they didn't let you have hair or beards longer than a certain amount and really <laughs> I don't know if that stemmed from the hippie movements or just the people themselves in charge, the Cathy's, but uh, might have been like you can't see any tattoos in a lot of places. That's starting to change, but there's still a lot of businesses. Well, yeah, that's, no that's because a lot of people no are getting tattoos. tattoos on their face. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that's probably not a smart idea, but no. whatever makes you very identifiable though. If the police ever need to track you down, or that's... really anyone else, <laughs> it's true. Uh, so back to 1968. Hey, first class postage stamp raises to six cents. What? Whew, highway robbery. I'm telling. Robert Kennedy. Uh, yeah, we know what happens to Robert Kennedy. Same yes. thing that happened to uh, John. He was going to run for president, too. And he was. And also... Uh, but he died. There's the Chicago... Um, the Chicago Democratic, the 1968 Democratic Convention in Chicago, which oh. was, yeah, there were these, uh, these people called, they called themselves like the Yippies or something. They were kind of, <laughs> they were from New York and they were kind of, uh, I don't know what they, they were like, they had like a political movement or something and they were protesting in Chicago during the Democratic National Convention and basically the cops were like, you know, so I don't remember the exact details. I used to, but uh, basically, like, there were these horrible riots, and, like, people were getting, like, violently, like, badly beaten during all of this. And, like, just, it was just, like, in the, I think it was in the park or something, like, and there were people just, like, you know, a lot of people were really, like, messed up from that, like, that saw that. Like, Hunter S. Thompson, he talks about it, and he just, like, there's like I think it was his girlfriend at the time. Like I saw a documentary about him. He was talking. They were talking about that because he was there for it. Oof. Because he was reporting it. Because you know he was he was a journalist. But uh, she was talking about how he was just crying, like just in tears about it, just talking about it, just like just this. Because it was horrible. Like they were really like the cops over there in Chicago were just going just insane on these people. It was it was terrible. They were sad about Robert Kennedy. I think it was, I don't know if it was before or <laughs> after Robert Kennedy got assassinated. Because it, it was around that time he was starting to like run for, like he was going to run for president. But I, I don't remember exactly when, you know, which of those events preceded each other. Uh, 1968 Democratic Convention was in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Thousands of protesters swarmed the streets to rally against the Vietnam War and the political status quo. Uh, the streets of Chicago were covered in riots and bloodshed. Protesters, police, and bystanders alike radically changing America's political and social landscape. Uh, it was uh, protest was held against the Vietnam War. I'm not finding anything. Um, brutal assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, in April had left the country reeling. 
Um, segregation had officially ended, but racism and poverty continued to make life difficult. Uh, uh, Lyndon B. Johnson, not saying anything on good old... Oh, here we go. Few days later, Senator Robert F. Kennedy abandoned his support for Johnson and entered the presidential fight. So he had not left. Or he, he was still left. <laughs> left this plane of existence. He had not <laughs> done that yet. Uh, he was he was still around. And then he said, I'm going for presidency. And then CIA was like, okay. <laughs> you saw what happened in the last one. So it happened to your brother, huh? Yeah, I guess you guys just don't learn. Uh, so, yes, Martin Luther King Jr. is assassinated just a few days before that convention. Uh, soap opera One Life to Live premieres on ABC, which features Tommy Lee Jones and Lawrence Fishburne. I didn't realize both those guys were that old. I thought, I thought they were just a, a little bit younger, but I... Uh. Uh, Saddam Hussein, what a guy, becomes vice chairman of the Revolutionary Council in Iraq after a coup d'etat. The White Album is released by The Beatles. Yes. The White Uh, Album is really good. The film Oliver, based on the hit London and Broadway musical, opens in the U.S. after being released first in England. It goes on to win an Academy Award for Best Picture. Also, The Zodiac Killer... (laughs) <laughs> Woo! The Zodiac Killer is believed to have shot Betty Lou Johnson and David Faraday on the Lake Herman Road. Oh yeah, I found the thing about the the Democratic National Convention. What do you have for me? I guess uh, I guess Mayor Daley ordered his the police force to attack thousands of unarmed demonstrators and stuff like that. And like, yeah. Uh. Like, they were, like, tear-gassing people and stuff like that. And there were some people who were, I guess, charged with inciting the riot. They were called, like, the Chicago 7 or the Chicago something like that. And uh, I forget who the guy's names were. But basically, it was just a kangaroo court. Like, they didn't really do anything, and they weren't responsible for it. But they were really trying to, like, go after him. And there were these, uh, these two lawyers, like, I think it was Bill Kunstler and Ron Kuby, and they basically were like, it's like, you guys are like, what are you guys doing? Like, this, these these guys got nothing to do with this. They're just, you know, they were just trying to demonstrate against the war. And, like, you know, there was the judge was like this old guy, and you're just like, ah, no way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe you. But they just made a movie. They just uh, came out with a movie about it. Because I saw there was an animated one that was a little older that was called, I think, Chicago 11 or something like that. But the new one is like the trial. It's called, it's on Netflix. It's called like The Trial of Chicago 7 or something like that. Yes, that is, I believe that's actually 1969, but I could be wrong. Uh, Yes, the Chicago 7 trial begins in 1969 uh, with. But it was after, it was because of the. It was because of the 68 Chicago convention. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I can't I can't believe all that. <laughs> I can't imagine just like you're going to speak at the Democratic National Convention, you just hear basically almost all of your voter base is just beaten senseless by the local police. It's like that must be horrible. Sometimes it pays to be a Democrat, sometimes it don't. 
pays to be anybody, I guess. <laughs> uh, 2nd of January, 1969. Rupert Murdoch buys Britain's largest selling Sunday newspaper, News of the World. 4th of February. Yasser Arafat becomes leader of Palestine Liberation Organization. 17th of March, Golda Meir becomes the first female prime minister of Israel. Look at the rest of the world. You know, we had uh, Indara, Indira Gandhi uh, as the prime minister in 1965 of India. Now we got Israel stepping up. Uh, British troops arrive in Northern Ireland. The, uh, hold on. Also, speaking on the after the aftermath of the assassination of Martin Luther King, there was like a lot of riots happening and stuff yes, like that. Lots and, uh, of them. I think James Brown did like I think it was a concert in like Boston or whatever. But basically, I don't know if it really happened. Or not. You know, he's he's doing this concert, and like all these he's hearing about all these riots. He's like, "Come on, man, we got to get together and stuff like that." And, you know, he's got his song, Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. Like, all these great... He was a... James Brown was, like, a hero of, like, the... Like, in the civil rights and stuff like that. He was kind of just, like, after the 60s, he kind of started to, like, let his hair grow out more. And he was just, like, embracing kind of, like, his natural, whatever, heritage. So, uh, Northern Ireland... Basically, what happens there is a 30, uh, 30-year conflict known as the Troubles. Um, basically, sporadic violence throughout the year from a civil rights campaign, which demanded an end to discrimination against Catholics and Irish nationalists. Uh, so as the civil rights 60s are happening, uh, we have the good old Irish, I believe this is also the Irish Civil War, perhaps. Uh, basically, Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland don't get along very well and they still don't and so britain was like hey we're gonna give you guys some troops to make sure you stop killing each other there's a lot more that happens but we're running out of time here uh not a surprise we always do uh there's a guy who gets elected president of France. Not even going to attempt to say his name stonewall riots in new york mark the beginning of the gay rights movement uh, 4th of July, you have the release of John Lennon's Give Peace a Chance. And this is probably what 1969 is known for. Apollo 11's Neil Armstrong walks on the moon on the 21st of July. One small step for man. And one giant leap. For mankind. There you go. Uh... August arrives, and we get Woodstock. The uh, Three days of peace and music. That's right. And then, you know, later in the year, we get not Woodstock, which are three days of death and death. I mean, Whatever there you were s- talking about last oh, time. I can't remember what it was Altamont, called. Altamont. You know, actually, Altamont, yes. I watched uh, this. Fi- there's this film about, like, the Stones doing, like, their 1969, like, tour of America. And at the end... Basically, the last like good chunk of the mo- of the movie is Altamont, and like I'd never I'd seen like clip like some footage from Altamont, but like oh man, that was, was on the sixth of December. Altamont. It was so heavy. Like I was watching, and I was just like, 
I mean, Oof. the Jefferson Airplane were playing, and literally, like, Marty Ballin, he gets beat on stage by one of the Hells Angels who's, like, basically doing, quote-unquote, security. There's, like, people, like, you know, and obviously the guy gets, like, these people dying and getting stabbed and stuff. It's just, it's, it's terrible. But whereas with Woodstock, it was, like, this big kind of social happening, you know, but whereas... With all, it's kind of like a weird kind of collective unconscious kind of thing where it's just like in the right circumstances, you know, you'll have a lot of people coming together and being peaceful, or you'll have a lot of people coming together for almost the same thing for music and stuff, but it's really, it turns violent. Ugh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Altamont, it. And also, there was another thing that killed the 60s was uh, the Manson family. Yes, because I was actually about to bring that up. Go ahead. So basically, Charles Manson is just this crazy guy. He's in and out of jail his whole life. And then I think around 1967, he's released into, you know, like L.A. And he's wandering around. He's picking up all these 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 runaway kids that are, you know, basically like middle class kids that have run away from home to go do whatever that are basically kind of easily manipulated. And he basically gets all these people together and he's doing all this stuff and he's having them do all this and he's basically trying to be like a leader or whatever i mean a lot of the rumors are kind of like some people say he's trying to be a christ figure or whatever i he might have been i don't know like there's a lot of conjecture about the whole thing because no one really knows unless they were there and those that were there are kind of unreliable but um basically i guess there was this idea that charles manson had there was going to be a giant race riot called helter skelter and that the White Album by the Beatles had just these secret messages about they were trying to talk to Charlie Manson and do all this stuff. And uh, so basically they, they, they base, and he's trying to also get a music deal because he's hanging out with Dennis Wilson and he's basically like, I'll give you drugs and girls if you get me a record deal. And he talks to some record executive who's, I think, Doris Day's son, and he's like, no. You're not getting a record deal. We don't. I don't really like you. So Charlie's like, I'm going to go to your house, and I'm going to kill everybody in the house. But the guy wasn't living in that house at the time. It was uh, Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate and some other people were there that night too. And Yeah. And they all got killed. And then some other they, – they went to, a, I think, a grocery store owner. They killed them too. And, like, just – and eventually they caught them in Death Valley for unrelated stuff. I think it was because they destroyed, like – they're tampering with some equipment out there and then they found out what really happened what they were run, like in death valley for and basically like they the the media kind of use it as like with these hippies they're killing people now yep when really it was just this small group of just insane people who are just manipulated by an like even more insane person my source here uh calls them the Manson family hippie cult and, yes, they get charged with all those murders. And I guess they, they were hiding out in Death Valley because they thought that the race war was going to happen and that there was an underground city somewhere hidden in Death <laughs> Valley. But, no, they just ended up hanging out in some cabin, and they got caught. What a and what a great way to end the 60s. I don't think there's anything else I could say besides Altamont and hippies killing everyone. If they, you know... It's it's funny what all the 60s is about because there's always one bad apple that spoils the bunch. And in this sense, really, 
the death of the hippies is simply because of really those two things. I'm sure there's a little bit more to it, but like those were the things that really, cause even like, I mean, cause the dead were supposed to play there. Like they were one of the people that set up Altamont. Like they were kind of behind like the organizations like, yeah, let's have like a Woodstock in the West and it'll be awesome. Cause the dead already played Woodstock and, you know, and, uh, and the Rolling Stones are in on it. And, but then when they got there, they, they knew like, this they is, messed up. <laughs> no, they they didn't even play. They were like, "We're out of here," because like, there's one part in the film where like two of them, like Jerry Garcia and like Phil Lesh, who's like the bassist, they're like talking, and it's like, it's like, and yeah, it's like one of them's like, "Yeah, Marty got Marty Ballin, you know, he got he got stomped by an angel," and like, and Jerry's like, "By an angel? He got beat up, Marty?" And he's like, "It's like, yeah," and then like you you can just tell on their faces, like, "Oh man, like we gotta we gotta go." <laughs> I'm not getting beat up by a biker today. <laughs> I mean it's terrible like all it's just like even when I was watching it like I like the whole ultimate thing like I just it's just, it was so hard to watch for me because I was just like this is just like you're kind of seeing everything that was kind of you know because there was a lot of stuff like building and building and building into something and it was you think and you thought it was going to be something and then you just see it all just hit a wall just like at a thousand miles per hour pretty much it's just terrible you know, it's like they say in Easy Rider, you know, it's like, we blew it. It's what happened, man. It's all you can say about it. We blew it. Copy that, Ghost Rider. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was Retrospection Radio Hour. And hey, that was the end of our two-part 1960s episode. Honestly, I feel like from this point on, we're probably going to have two-parters. Uh, <laughs> doing like half the decade and then the other half because... There is that's good. I because there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of if, modern if world you, history. You can only see the little playlist where I, where I add the music, where I take it out. Dude, <laughs> I, I most of it is that. is the '60s. I'd have I'll have to show it to you when we're done. But oh my gosh, <laughs> I, I was just racking my brain all morning. It's like I was like, all right, this one, like I had it narrowed down. It was so rough. I, I really feel like I should start at the uh, end of these episodes throwing on the link to the Spotify playlist because it I, I don't delete anything off it. So it starts with the uh, electro swing and some ska punk that I did for really early on retrospection. And then you have the decades music, even the stuff that we didn't play, you know, from the 1910s and up. So it's, it's a really good historical playlist. So yeah, uh, you are listening to retrospection radio hour. Thanks for coming you know listening with us you can catch all of these episodes and more at www.retrospectionradio.com especially if you missed out on say the first part of this it's a great way to go back listen to everything Uh, we are generally one week behind when it comes to posting an episode so you heard this today on 11 15 21 and we're uh We'll be, we'll be about a week from there. They post on Saturdays at around 12 o'clock. I think that's when I have it set to go, something like that. But, uh, yes, you are listening to 97.5 WOBN, The Wild Card. We're going we're gonna to go ahead and throw you right back in. We'll see you on the other side.